Cross the Streams podcast. We're in season seven. I think this is episode five, but uh, it was somewhere in there. We're rolling, and we got the gang back together here. Jeff Matsushita, Carly Roner here are calling in in segment um, where, where we're really trying to discuss topics around bringing men into the conversation of violence prevention, healthy relationships, breaking out of the man box. And I've got my two friends and experts on those subjects that work in the field, and, and I get to dabble and, and steal a lot of their expertise on here. But hello, y'all. Welcome back, Jeff and Carly. Hello. Good to be back. Hey, good to see you. Congratulations on the new season. Hey, thank you very much. We've had, you know, I think, uh, you know, when you bring Kane back in and he, see, remember he said he was a blue check. He's no longer a blue check on Twitter and none of us want to be on Twitter anyway. But when you bring that guy back in, suddenly people are listening. He, But he's never going to give any Boise State football insight. But I think we get listeners just in case. And then they hear me and they turn it off. But it's okay, y'all. It's okay. We, we got things to do. Um, how is everybody? I, I sent you guys a script. Um, and I wanted to jump into, I want to share success stories, right? I want to share stuff we're passionate about. You know, obviously I'll get into my change and I appreciate both of you throughout my transition from one, one role to another one to TBD, but I've heard from both of you and I, and I really appreciate it, but I want to give you guys the floor. Carly, why don't you go first? Um, remind everybody all the great things you do, but give give them one passion project right now. In, in the field that, that you're chasing. Yeah, it's so good to be back with y'all. It's so nice to join you. Um, I'm Carly Roner. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the campus coordinator at the Oregon Sexual Assault Task Force. So I have the joy of working with all of our colleges and universities across the state. And honestly, that's, uh, if I can share like the successes and then jump into those passions that I'm chasing, I think one of the biggest uh exciting things that we've had kind of on the horizon is working with a lot of our campuses. We've been working with a couple of them since this past summer to start building these big comprehensive prevention plans that they're going to be looking at for the next couple of years. About all of the incredible things that they've been doing on their campuses. So the successes are really those things that I'm getting to hear from my colleagues across the state that are just doing really creative things to get students engaged, pull them out of like the residence halls. The weather in Oregon is terrible right now. So getting folks out and being in community with each other. And for some of these schools, it's the first time that they've ever done anything. And so for me, that's the celebration piece is that we're just constantly taking those little steps forward. Uh, as a state and as a field, which is, feels really invigorating and exciting. And then I think passion-wise for me right now, this is my first year I get to help our agency coordinate legislative work. And so being able to, some days I love it, some days I don't love interacting with the bureaucracy, but it has felt really exciting to chase down some of those really incredible opportunities to change not only the way we do our work, but also change law and policy to help survivors in our state. And so that piece has been really fun and exciting. Carly, that, that makes me two things. I want to follow up with a question, but also I was on the courtesy of you when I found Meg Foster in the men's engagement committee for the state. I was on one of those this week and a lot of the people represented on the, on the committee were coming from what they called lobby sessions. Is that you now? Is that, is that the, I mean, are you talking to people? Are you writing stuff? Give us a little, I'm really, I'm really interested. Yeah. Yeah, so it has been a really steep learning curve. I came from a background of like, my family did not interact with policymakers, like we were not doing legislative days. So really been like a really fast track to learning some of those things this year. And so it has been all of the above that you're saying. So right now we're helping coordinate um, with the Oregon Alliance and Violence Against Women a lobby week. So getting all of our community programs, folks to the Capitol to talk with uh, our legislators about why investing in this work is important. So some of that, writing testimony, doing public speaking, doing testimony at some of the hearings that are coming up, getting uh, in front of some of our legislators to explain, hey, here's maybe some better ways that we could do this work, maybe even than what you tried to propose here in this bill. So getting to do a lot of dabbling really in different areas of the policy work, which has been really fun. Man, that is so awesome. Congratulations. It, may, it makes me think I, I often talked when you're a coach, you know, in, at, and you've been, you both of you have been at, you know, institutions and universities, higher education. It's frustrating sometimes when you feel like you're not in the room where decisions happen. 
right? Or you're not even in the room where debate about the decision is happening and you're, you know, it's poured on you later. So it sounds like it's, I feel like you might be in those rooms now, be in those spaces at least where your voice is heard directly. Yeah, every once in a while. And that's been the, I think the best thing over the last couple of months, at least for me and my family and having conversations about this work is we don't do a good job as a society about educating folks about how they can do this work. So while I get to do some of this by proxy of my work, there's actually a lot of time that I've been spent talking to my neighbors, to my family saying, you really actually need to be the one writing in this letter and helping to educate folks about like, there is really easy ways that we as regular everyday citizens can access our legislature. Um, and so for me, that's been the most rewarding part too, is just knowing like, yeah, I don't, I might be in some of those spaces, but we actually numbers wise need more folks to be able to know that process about how to get in that room. Awesome. Thank you. Jeff, floor is yours, sir. Thank you, uh, Jeff Matsushita, he, him. Uh, I do want to jump back. Carly, thank you for that, of, of what you all are doing engaging. Like living in the state capitol gives you proximity. For years, though, for us, it was just a big white building. And my kids would ooh and all, we drive by. But it's ours, right? I think that sentiment really pops into this as us as citizens. And so uh, not only being educated voters, but also being engaged voters. And so um, in Idaho, a little different on the legislative side. I'm going to stay there. Uh, so personally, I work at Boise State part-time. Uh, this year has been my first year there. Uh, Kip, you counseled me when I made my transition out last year. And so uh, it's love to be able to like share with you and talk with you. I got no answers, but I got ears. And I think that's for us as men, of just that willingness to listen and share and connect. Um, so the point being, uh, the state of Idaho, um, a little different sentiment than what y'all are, are rocking with. Um, it feels very defensive. Like we're, we're, we're always trying to react to it. And, and I think that is intentional, but it also doesn't allow us to really be in that engagement mode. So what I've found more fulfilling is even in our little district we live in in, in, in Boise, um, it's we have two Democratic uh, representatives, which, you know, the five, I think, total across the whole state. Um, and the neighbors get involved. We get we engagement and it's done nothing else but just have conversations. So I really appreciate what you're doing directly, Carly, um, for survivors and other folks who are helping people who experience violence. Um, but those those bills implement other things in the state as well. Like that's the fluidity to all this. Nobody's one identity. So if legislation helps for a survivor of violence, accessing law enforcement, other services, that's also going to help people who are who make some forms of violence and law enforcement is involved, like the um, the victims' rights folks, right? So I think it is all intertwined. Um, and I didn't do a good enough job as a citizen before. I just voted because my parents told me to vote for the damn levy in, in rural Montana to get passed, or my partner is telling me to vote for the damn levy here. So um, that engagement matters. And that leads into passion for me. The state of Idaho, his, um, the, the Joint Finance Committee made some choices and they cut some budgets. So the other part of my work is doing reproductive health education with young men. Um, we see that as a through road to talk about healthy masculinities and reproductive health is a portion of that. Um, unfortunately, there's three programs around the state. Two of them uh, have already been cut. Uh, one was specific to rural Idaho, which is the majority of the state. The second one was for Latinx community members, which down here in the southern part of the state, um, most of the southern part of the state is pretty high. Services around reproductive health education, uh, pregnancy prevention, and also direct services for, for, for women's health have been cut. The program I'm with is holding on, but we don't know. And so for me, passionately, is talking with my partners um, in the criminal legal system, both the juvenile correction system, the like folks in the alternative high schools here in Boise, in the Ada School District and Boise School District, and then the um, live in alcohol and drug, uh, or excuse me, rehabilitative services. So those three partners trying to get them engaged as community members with this is what's happening with the budget. And so it's self-preservation, but it's also community preservation, right? And we know that an ounce of prevention is worth, you know, three pounds of that cure. And we want to prevent young folks giving them the horizon they deserve. So it's, it's around health that, that my passion really kicked up. Um, so my kids are tired of hearing me talk about 
um, you know, legislature and in the state. So I get to come into the office and talk to y'all about it. So thank you. No, absolutely, sir. And and I appreciate both of your, you know, bigger picture perspectives um, in the work you're doing. Um, you know, for me in, in answering that question, obviously, um, like a lot of people know on the, on the podcast, I'm not the basketball coach at Willamette anymore. So that version of passion, you know, chasing the game, chasing competition, chasing the scoreboard, that thing's on ice and on hiatus, right? No, no, no choice of mine, but, but we've all been there. Um, but I, I do think, and I, we've all connected over this, you know, this teams of men idea um, where, you know, I think I have, I have, I, de- I know I have a passion, but I hope I have a talent for contextualizing and, and framing the work that you all do for coaches to do in the team rooms. Um, obviously, it was one thing for me to do with a team that I had myself for 14 years, and, and I've been doing on the side for the last three since COVID, was trying to take lessons I learned from you all and other experts and things I've done and help another coach with a, in a football locker room or a baseball locker room, high school, all the way through college, do some of this lens shaping for their young men. Um, and, and as I as I hear you guys, you know, talking about all the places where, where it's needed and where the where the fight's happening. Right. It, it, it juices me up to, to join a, in a little, little more direct way, hopefully. Right. And, and we all know you guys, we, we're all talking about capitalist society and how money is the backbone of all these fights. <laughs> Unfortunately, we wish it was purpose driven only. Um, but it, it, it's definitely something that I see a through us, uh, I see a, a through line through to, you know, more, Carly, like you mentioned, engaging folks. Jeff, you mentioned, you know, it opening people's eyes to re- reproductive health is part of this discussion, is something that, um, you know, I think I, I try to, I'm going to try to find a space where I can take some of the fear and the being timid because they're not experts with a coach's carry. Um, and hopefully now that, you know, I actually have time to be there with them, you know, before when I was doing the work as a side, it was sending PDFs or sending a video and that's just not the same. Obviously there's some effect there, but it's not the same as me coming in and helping in in those spaces, but it led me to something that I want to do our first segment. Um, because I think it illustrates some of where coaches, not even just coaches, men, probably in general, um, in talking to each other. Uh, exists still in, in some of the the pit the pitfalls we fall back into to impress one another. And this was something that happened a couple weeks before my transition out as an active recruiter for a team. But I, you know, in that role, even at Division Three, you get 25 to 30 referrals a week, if not more, from coaches or players or parents or anybody saying, hey, my kid can play for you. He can help the Bearcats win. And there's a bunch of methods that people use. This one, though, really just jumped out to me and my staff got the email first and they sent it to me like, oh, boy, you're going to turn this into a lesson. I know that. And I don't want to put any I'm not going to use names, obviously, um, and I don't want to put anything on the young man who was trying to be seen as a player. But his coach decided and I think just through probably I don't know if socialization is the right word or the usual methods through which we connect as men that he told me in his right in his writing that I, he had the alpha male for me and that I would be willing to pay this particular alpha male to take my daughter out. And that was his selling point before I got GPA, which we all know Willamette needs, before I got scoring and points, which are the usual, like he had 55 points against Timbuktu University, you know, all these things that you should care about. He led with alpha and he led with he, the conquest of my daughter. And so, of course, I felt such a way and I was ready to call this guy. And my staff was like, coach, maybe you respond and and educate. Like, but I I don't know if you want to get into this shouting match with this AAU coach. But I didn't I didn't know. So I ended up writing back. But thoughts from both of you that someone and it it was like, I'm sure I wasn't the only CC on that advertisement because it's not like it was a destination program. So I'm sure it was BCC'd to hundreds of coaches. And I, I'm worried that I think a lot of them probably really bought into that. Carly, your thoughts. I see, I see you're, you're, you're smiling in, in cringe. I, it was complete cringe mode. But I, it also, when we were kind of looking at topics to chat about today and you had sent this saying, hey, I'm going to have you know, a potential story from recent kind of recruiting time. Yeah. The first thing when you were saying that, I was thinking, what is that what is that value i guess of being an alpha male in these spaces like how have we learned that like one what traits are those mm-hmm. what is the alpha male to to this coach um and how does that benefit 
your team, I guess, like this prioritization of these really like alpha male, I'm assuming like macho kind of characteristics seem to be code for like, this is a pass. It might not matter how good this player actually is or how good of a teammate he is, but by demonstrating strength and dominance, you should have automatic access to your space. And so that's kind of what I was thinking as you sent that, I was like, yeah, it's fascinating. Like what? Right. Thank what what are those characteristics? Yeah. So I, I sent back my own, I did a deep dive last year on the season six where I just found other great people that researched the alpha fallacy, right? That it's rooted in horse shit. But so I sent that to him. And I also said, coach, if he is this unable to follow person, why would I want him to join my team community? What 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 are you saying to me? So that that was part of my response, but thank you, Carly. Jeff. So this was about 10 years ago. Uh, I was in Missoula, Montana, and I just bought a pickup, my very first truck. I was super hyped and was driving back. My in-laws live in Salmon, which between Missoula and Salmon, it's a three-hour drive. Uh, and this young person, a young-appearing man was pulled up the side of the road, thumb out. So I picked him up. And hitchhiker, and he had a story. Boy, there was all kind of, and he's it, summer in Montana. He hadn't showered in a bit. So he's messing up my seats. That's what my main thought was. But as we pulled closer to Sam, and it's getting, it's about 10 o'clock at night, sun down. He's like, Yeah, this is good for me. It's like, Well, I'm staying at my in laws. You can't stay there, but where do you want to go? He's like, Oh, just drop me at that gas station. Dropped him off, go to my in laws. And when I was think, sleeping, I thought, who did I bring to Salmon Idaho? Who, 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 what story does this young man have? What, you know, who did I put into this community now? And what kind of ripples is that going to have? And Carly, building up where you went to, Alpha Y. So now he's coming onto campus. And if he's so good in his hetero sense of Alpha, that's not who we want to be dominating our campuses and lives that are here, not only your locker room, but the greater community that you have the responsibility to and other coaches in that college world have the responsibility to, to bring somebody into a sanctuary of higher education and learning. And dominance is the first thing they lead with. That's going to shake the, shake the whole foundation and that, that the, the ripples are going to go from that. So that that's, that's really awful that that still is language that is vibing. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, as you were saying that, Jeff, I love that. Uh, just bringing folks in, I think, as coaches, you all do a really great job, not only of having to look at team dynamics, but recognizing that team is going to be part of that larger campus community, like Jeff was saying. And I guess I also, in thinking about that coach's response or, you know, that advertisement for his player, it's made it feel like that player was more of a tool rather than a person coming in. So I think that's the other side of this is like this person comes in and we're like, we don't want you to be necessarily a dominant presence in our community. Not that that, you know, strong presence is great. That's wonderful. But like coming in with this kind of aggressive, like I'm going to be the top no matter what in a community that doesn't demonstrate this person can grow. That doesn't demonstrate probably all of the other factors that that student like brings to the table it's just this is how you can use this player as a tool the you know what car that makes me think of kane and i last week talking about confidence and versus self-awareness because you do i think coaches sometimes mistake they want to tag something as alpha because that's what they've been raised or coached themselves to is a leader um and I, i i love confidence but I don't need ignorance to the room. I don't need somebody that can't read spaces, that can't read the room. And the part that really triggered me with my rage was you'd pay, you would pay him to take your daughter out. Basically saying, this is someone you would willingly sacrifice your daughter to. This is the conquest you should send her to. And that part is where I probably put a little bit longer. And I, th- I probably used all capitals in my email more so than the first paragraph. Like what, one, how do you think I'm raising my daughter to be, to be looking for savior from, for some man Two, what are you telling your young men their value is in? So that was, that was scary to me. I mean, terrifying. And also like, 
in now that other things have happened, like, wow, the, some of these people really need these discussions. And maybe that's what I'm supposed to do is bring these discussions. Jeff. Carly really touched on it about the, the single story of that young man and his value. Um, I guess part of my reaction too was like prostitution is not a legal trade. And that's, but that stance too of, sorry, that was maybe inappropriate. Um, but that idea that he is everything he needs to be now, I think that short sights him. Because if I want somebody to date my daughters, my kids, I'm looking for a partnership. And then I'm not one, I'm not looking for them too. It's their job to cultivate, but the growth should be there, right? And so I think that's the part with men, like we're always a finished product. And then the other piece with alpha denotes to me is like power over. So alpha only works till there's another top dog and they're still gonna take orders. And if that's how they're gonna see my child or, or our, our daughter taking them out, that that's not 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 a partnership at all. That's just a dictator. Fine about that. Exactly. And then, you know, the piece where my daughter doesn't have agency to pick for her damn self. Right. Like she needs me to filter these things. I, I, I hope my wife and I have raised her to where she has full agency and ability to decipher. Right. I mean, I think now and I all but I also know that's not the that's not a through line for every father out there. It's like, well, I will be, you know, that I'm going to be on the porch with a gun and I'll filter through, you know, that that also we're, we're, we're probably dealing with. Uh, let's take our first break. And we're, we're not done with my daughter, but I did learn. I don't know, Carly, it might have been you or it might have been Meg in the group. I asked her for her permission before I go into the next discussion. So I, I did something right. And she gave me the dad. It's fine. Uh, nobody listens anyway. OK, we'll, we'll be right back. Cross the streams. The Cass Ion Foundation exists to raise money for Alzheimer's research, caregiver support services, and to benefit any individuals or causes that we believe exist in line with the morals and beliefs of our namesake, our father, Cass Ion. To learn more about ways you can help the foundation, visit CassIonFoundation.org, K-A-S-I-O-A-N-E, Foundation.org. Okay, we're back. I have a personal story. Well, no, I am a secondhand experiencer because it is my daughter's story. Um, and with her permission to share it, I, I was very, very interested in you two both evaluating, did we do this correctly? And also your takes on where it lands in the work you all do. Because I think there's so many avenues where this is like an illustration of why what you all do is so vital. So my daughter's in eighth grade. And she calls me, she's at a sleepover party at the beach and she calls mom, her mom and says, Hey, is dad there? And my wife says, yes. And she goes, I need you both on speakerphone. So, you know, Kelly comes running out and you guys are parents. You both know, Oh my gosh, this is probably awful. And I'm going to get in the car. We're, we're, and she said, everything's fine. I'm fine. But I have to tell you something that just happened via text. And I was like, okay, you know, good. You know, I'm, my, my heart, my anxiety is going down a little bit. I don't need to double dose that day. Um, so she reveals that this is the flow of the conversation. A young man who was interested in seeing if Leah wanted to go out, whatever that looks like in eighth grade, right? I, I don't know what it looks like in eighth grade in 2023. And my daughter said, no, I'm not really looking to be in relationships, just looking for friends, et cetera. And he, that response of no, somehow some way decided this young man decided that meant he needed to send three nudes to my daughter via text and so she says dad this guy sent me pics of his immediately after i told him i wasn't even like rude and i said what and kelly was you know obviously you know what the heck and i said okay babe, what did you do next and she said i deleted the first one and then i told him knock it off stop it and then blocked him and then he apparently sent it to another friend who sent it again to Leah via because she had his number. So it was like this. The end of the day, there was four or five images of eighth grade genitals sent to my daughter's phone. So I, I told her, right, I see both of you at just a podcast. I know, but on parents listening, parents listening, I, this is unfortunate. Like, I don't think this is I don't think we're unique. I think this is happening. Right. And so I said, babe, you did the right thing. Thank you for trusting us with that. When you get home, how are you now? When you get home, we'll talk about it. And she was like, yeah, okay. So then she came back the next day and we sat her down and I said, how you feeling? And Kelly, my wife asked, how you doing? And she said, I'm just pissed, right? It was really gross. And I'm sure I'm not the first girl he sent it to. And I was like, you know, I appreciate that. And I said, what do you want to do next? 
because there's some avenues that we can do. Um, you know, the, the macho father was like, I can drive to the house, knock on the door and say, hey, this happened. I can confront parents. I'm ready. Um, we can tell your school since you guys go to the school. We can we can tell police if we want to. You know, we can look up Oregon, you know, all the laws about, you know, disseminating child pornography. We can do all these things. What do you want to do? And she said, I, I want him to stop because he'll kill. If we don't do something, he's going to send it to the next girl. I said, cool. Then I, th- I don't know if I was wrong. I was like in preservation mode for my daughter. I said, I want you to I want to game out what will happen when you go forward and tell the school. I just want you to be prepared because the circles you run in. His friends' girlfriends are your friends. And I just want you to know it's going to go in the whole circle and they're probably going to side with their boyfriends. I, I, and I, it's not a reason not to do it. We're here for you. I think I'm damn proud of you. I'm proud that you want to hold some accountability, but I want you to be prepared. It's probably going to suck ass for you. It's probably going to be awful for you compared to him. And she was like, I don't care. You told me, you know, and basically because we've had conversations, luckily that I know people like y'all and we do these conversations in our house. She was ready. Like she, next day she went, told the principal, things happened. Police called me, et cetera. But what I was worried about absolutely came to pass where there were spaces where basketball teams were together and said individual was on this basketball team and my daughter's in the same gym and comments are made. Or her friends are texting her, why did you get him in trouble? All these things that I know we we talk about and you guys experience in survivor advocacy, victim advocacy, believing women, um, all happened to her over the course of the next two or three weeks. Um, so that that's my story. And some of the listeners out there that are they're close friends, I told them that week because they you know they're friends of mine. Like, dude, were you ready for this in fatherhood? Your daughter is three. Don't let her grow up. But I also was like, no, that's bullshit. My daughter didn't do nothing wrong. That was on him. So then I went to my son and I was like, yo, let me see your phone. What are you doing? <laughs> right? So, but I'm I'm ready and open for, because I just thought there was so much there because I, I expected a certain level of accountability. I think all that happened was a police officer went and scared said person by knocking on the door with the, with the lights flashing. And then that, you know, and then suspension from some basketball teams. Um, there's a discussion of, do young men know how to, you know, rejection, no idea, no concept, no idea of flow of I'm going to talk to this young lady and this may happen. And this is the logical, appropriate next step. Um, so anyway, I'll shut up. But Carly, you go first. But that that's my story. Not, no, that's my that's my daughter's story. Yeah. One, I'm just really sorry for your whole family. Right. Like anytime really, really sorry for Leah that she would have to experience that in the first place. It's bullshit when kids are just like, I just want to be at my slumber party. I just want to be hanging out. And these, these kind of things just kind of get infused in so much of our day-to-day life and in those situations. And so I'm just really, I'm sorry for her. I'm sorry for your family to have to deal with something like that. Cause like you said, there's all these little ripple effects. Like now you're having conversations with your son and you're having conversations with the school and all these things. It doesn't just say static. And I think out of all of that, the fact that I just want to say the fact that Leah felt good enough to come talk to you both felt incredible. There are so many youth, and I know Jeff probably sees this too, that don't have that safe, trusted adult that they can say, this thing is happening and I don't necessarily have the tools to get through it. And so just having that, like kudos to you and Kelly, because I think that being able to have that relationship, if that's something that folks are like, how can I kind of do violence prevention in my day-to-day life, be that trusted grown-up for some young person, because that is huge to being able to get through these kind of situations safely. And for this other young man, maybe to learn some lessons earlier on that stop him from potentially perpetrating um, additional violence down the road. Yeah. Jeff. Well, I appreciate your daughter. I have the confidence in what you and Kelly have done. So I'm going to echo everything that Carly said. Um, reaction is that I'm still sitting with that idea. Like she was blamed. Right? We've talked about this all for all these years. Like the person who was harmed or violated is the one that we're asking questions to. Why did they get them in trouble? Um, and and I love that confidence. And again, eighth grade seems like your daughter has almost missed some of the, 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 the data points of like when girls lose confidence, right? They're 
academics go up until around 12 and then things kind of start heading down along with self-confidence and, and interest in the science, technology, engineering, math worlds. But that was a very confident move she had. And then again, as a parent, as a caregiver, <clears throat> echoing Carly, but y'all listened. You didn't come with, she made a mistake. Um, and you presented some options for her. And I think that's the empowerment piece that young folks deserve is that nothing she did was warranted her at fault. What options can we work together? But also it was her and that she went to the principal. She initiated those things to happen. Um, I, I really, the, the, the sad part to me is coming back with this, the team breakdown in the gym, right? The boys team, the girls team, and that feeling that everybody's talking about you. And, and I, I, I don't know what they were talking about. I'm sure a few were. But it's always this piece around bystanders, the folks who interrupt, who take that brief moment in time and say, no, yo, this is whack, wrong. Other people in that friend group, that circle of team were feeling that as well. So Leah gave permission to the rest of her teammates to say, you know what, this is bullshit. And some other people were probably blocking some folks on Twitter or, or on their, their socials because they weren't the only ones that got those pictures of genitals as well, right? But if we continue to vibe with this normalcy and we just continue to think that's the water we're swimming in, somebody to be that disruptor and interrupt and say, this is wrong. It's always been wrong. It's just now that folks are more willing to stand up. And, and I think your daughter and her friend group and her family nuclear center provided that stability. So I that's deeply amazing win as parents. Congrats. Carly, I think you've had us talking a lot about here, and Jeff touched on it, courage in the moment, right? Where, what does, in your work, your experience, what is, account, what is appropriate accountability for this guy, right? Because as a, fa as a father, you're like, man, I want you to feel this because of what you did. And then I also hear from my friend groups, my circles of, ah, boys will be boys, you know, but I, my daughter wasn't put on this earth for your son to experiment with. My daughter wasn't put on this earth for your son to find his morality through a horseshit harm he causes her. So, yeah, you know, so maybe it's a discussion of where in the system we can be better for him. But also, what is it? What does it look like? At the, at the very least, he should be like, why isn't he walking the hallways like, damn, my dick's up and down this the, the hallways now. Feel some shame himself. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'll take in two parts. So one, the accountability piece, I think the earlier that we can help folks kind of interrupt these behaviors and just learn like, hey, this isn't socially appropriate, the better that looks, I think, in the long term for folks, right? Like we have a little bit of research that says the earlier that we can kind of help folks build those skills. And I think this is something Jeff does incredible work around is helping young men to identify not only like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, send new pictures of myself, but also interrogating that rationale for sending in the first place, understanding boundaries, handling rejection, being able to build some of those skills so that they don't get to that point um, is so incredibly critical. And I'm going to uh, give a shout out. There's a really incredible website if you're a parent caregiver. It's called Amaze. So like amazing, but amaze, A-M-A-Z-E dot org. Tons of healthy relationship videos, um, resources, and they're all geared towards, there's some for elementary school age, so age appropriate and middle school, high school, dealing with topics like we're talking about today. So things like, how do I handle rejection? Because maybe that person didn't have the tools, right? I don't have the tools to be able to know what to do. I just know I feel bad, so maybe I'll make you feel bad. And that's not what we want that young man to be doing, right? And I think, so that's kind of one tangent is we can, and we have strategies to help folks not get to this point so that somebody like Leah can just enjoy their fucking slumber party, right? And we just want them to be able to live their life. So how can we help folks around build good tools? I think the accountability piece, I defer to your daughter. What does that accountability look like? And I think as adults, we have to get more comfortable with allowing young people to tell us, this is what feels right to me. And this is what makes me feel not whole, but makes me have some peace for this scenario. If Leah had said like, you know, telling you was what I wanted to, I wanted you to be aware so you can help me. And that's it. I think, right. Man. There's going to be some, yes. there's going to be some I legal situations where maybe because of what we do for jobs, we have to do something else, but 
we have to get comfortable if we're truly talking about agency, giving that agency to folks who are in the position like your daughter and just saying, okay, you want to go to the police? Great. You want to do these other things? Great. But we're going to defer to you because you know what's best for yourself and your heart and your body. That is, I, I appreciate you restating that because I definitely was, if she would have chosen something else, right? I was in an anger, protect me, protect my ego mode. Nah, nah, nah. I'll, I'm going to, something's going to happen because this was to my kid. Uh, great point that, I, you know, I, I, I'm proud of what she did choose, but if she, there's no lesser, it was her choice, right? And I, I want to reiterate, thank you for bringing that up. Jeff. Thanks for the reminder, Carly. You're right, empowerment. Um, I go criminal legal quickly with the work on college campuses and locker rooms, right? That picture is felony if it gets popped on her phone, right? And she again, did nothing to warrant that, but being that she had it on her device, that would technically be a felony for uh, child pornography. So, I mean, that, we try to use fear as an education tool at times with college age folks. Um, I've been amazed at asking men, how many, uh, how many men know women who've had a random penis pic sent to them? And every room I go to, overwhelming, like, oh yeah, yeah, I hear about it. Um, so again, I still don't know why, why, how that, why, what the purpose of it is. This comes back to that piece around alpha a little bit, Kip, though. Like, is that a tactic of dominance? Is that a tactic of power um, with how we associate, you know, heteronormity and like masculinity with penises, right? And so I think that I, I wonder if there are some curiosities about power over. He heard a no, so he went to what he thought for some reason, and that's power over. And so a vulnerable picture of his penis, like, I'm with you. That should be a lot of like, oh, damn, everybody's looking at this in the hallway. But instead, the conversation gets flipped and we put it on the person who was harmed. So as caregivers, as parents, as coaches, community members, coming back to the very fundamental stuff, start by believing and asking them what do they need. So I love that you lifted it up, Carly, um, with your daughter was the informed one. Yeah, Carly, and you got more, you have more on this. Yeah, I just was thinking about this. And, you know, we're talking about young people a lot, but I think for folks on the call too, like our understanding of how technology is used, I think in a lot of these situations, we as adults and caregivers need to get more comfortable with because it's not limited just to youth. We had, I won't get too graphic with it, but a couple of weeks ago, I had a phone number that just would not quit FaceTiming me. And after like the fifth or sixth time, you know, it's 9 30, 10 at night. I'm like, what is happening? I have my partner who's like a big, you know, man who can answer the phone, be like, who is like calling my wife's phone kind of thing. And he pulls it open on FaceTime and it's similar content to like what Leah was getting. I don't know this person. I had to do like super sleuth, get on the internet, figure out where the phone number, like who it was registered to, <laughs> like cell phone company kind of thing. What I heard from folks in the system is like, oh, thank you so much for letting us know. And so as adults, like this doesn't just impact young people, it's impacting us, maybe on, a, you know, our family, random Tuesday night. So we have a vested interest in making this good and learning about ways that we can intervene and help folks build healthier behaviors in our community, because it's not just going to be a young person issue. If you have a cell phone, you're opening yourself up to this, right? Or you have access to the internet, you're on Zoom calls like we often are. These kind of things are going to come up for us, our colleagues, our friends. So being able to learn some of those tools, not only how do we support folks who've experienced it, but how do we kind of interrupt at the beginning? It's a big impact on all of us. I love that term you both use and interrupt because I, in, in my time at Willamette, the last four or five years, we've had two or three instances where some of my guys had made decisions to send pictures. And I know they vetted those choices in their circles and no one had the courage in the moment to say, what, why, what in God's name are you doing? Or in the, in the, at the end, right? So Jeff, as you talked about, you know, is it, is this some kind of alpha dominance? It's probably imitating or learned from somewhere, right? That they saw some man do, uh, whether that was porn, whether that was in their real life, whether that was all these other places. But I, I that was something that we really tried to deep dive as a staff in the aftermath, like what, who co-signed this? And also for you, who taught you that step B in talking to a person that you would like to have a relationship with is the lack of clothing? Who, 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 who gave you this? Cause you're not even close. 
Um, so that, that, all those things were going through my head, which leads to, I mean, it's all intertwined. Like Jeff, you're talking about reproductive health and your budget's getting cut, right? I mean, Carla, you're talking to people like, can you write some laws? Can you fund these things that are happening? I mean, I, I did a Zoom for a team in Canada for teams of men and me being a dummy, I put out the link to the group in a Twitter thread, like, hey, all these coaches from Canada. And how stupid was I? Because we got Zoom bombed with porn clips from what you could tell in the background was little kids laughing from, and that was, you know, but I took it as, oh, I got to be better technologically. Or we could be better in the interruption in the education. (laughs) One of the two. I'm always amazed. I'm just going to go back, like, how vulnerable that must be to, to send an image of your genitalia. So I'm going to stay on this. Like, that's a vulnerable move, but that's the go-to versus saying, yo, my heart, I, I got a little hurt that you don't want to, but all right, I'm going to respect your boundaries, but I'm going to let you know I'm a little hurt by this. So, I mean, that vulnerable statement versus going right to sending the images. So the, the way that vulnerability is in here is just so twisted up. Um, and I think I'll come back to us as men. Uh, I think that's something we can hash out. And one of the resources that Carly made named, of course, was amaze.org. Um, I want to lift up the car conversations from Valor US, which is a tool for caregivers. I really think anybody, even coaches, like I got the puberty conversation in the car. Um, I might have shared the story. Dad was doing 80 on the interstate, locked the doors and said, what do you know about sex? Right. So it was super comfortable in an uncomfortable way. Like I was side by side, it wasn't the intimate look. Um, and I think cars are those places. So us as caregivers, as adults, as coaches, as whoever, community members, um, especially with our own kids, the car is a great place. And then that's the place where those, you can just have do better job at listening and building that stability. Because the investment happened that for you and your partner, Kip, didn't happen that night. That has been all these other steps of investing into that relationship where she felt comfortable to tip y'all off of what had just happened. You both mentioned, right, the car conversation. There's a book, and I, golly, I wish I could remember it. You both probably know of it. A recruit that I had, had a daughter, and I was telling stories. You know me, I'm just talking, and I'm telling stories about Leah and I and our relationship, how it's evolved and how it's harder to get her to share things. And this mother was like, oh, there's a book about raising a detangled something it's something but one of the chapters is all about try to have your conversations when they're in the front seat and you're driving because there's the lack of eye contact allows them there's also an end point to the discussion and I was like this is nonsense but Kelly was like try it and what do you know that's when I basically get my news update from my daughter if I'm driving her to track I'm driving her to volleyball I can ask anything she's like blah 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 the second she comes home and I'm like, babe, how was your day? What's fine, dad? God. And then she's off. But in the car, I get a lot of that. So I, I, I wanted to say I, I knew a ton about that. Untangled. Thank you, Jeff. That's the one. That is the one. My wife and I read that. Yes. Um, I don't know if I got that recruit. I probably didn't. But that was a great share. They gave me more value than I gave them or the $65,000 at Willamette. I am so excited to read that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Having hey, a, a sixth grade daughter. That feels like a good read. Do it. Do it. Let's take our second break, and then we'll wrap up with the last segment. The first annual Cass Ione Foundation Invitational is a scramble event, July 22nd. That's a Saturday at Prior Creek Golf Course. Please visit birdies.com backslash KIF 2023 to register your foursome, sign up for hole and tee box sponsorships, and learn ways you can volunteer and help on the day of the event. The KIF, Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. All right, April 2023. Sam, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I wanted you both to share success stories. It doesn't have to be yours. I think that one of the best parts, and I've heard from a lot of people, is they always take something from you two, whether it's what we just car conversations, amaze, untangled. Like you guys are always connectors uh, to follows, to steals, to conversions. Like, go ahead. Floor is yours. Carly, why don't you start? 
I was trying, folks are, we're on a podcast, so they can't see the visuals of me and Jeff like pointing at each other as we go on Zoom. So I've, like I said earlier, just so excited for a, a lot of the folks that I work with across the state, like I said, are doing a couple of really cool strategies that their schools haven't done before. Some of those are just as simple as saying, hey, let's sit down as a table of folks from across the university and look at a case study and just talk to each other like humans and figure out what we would do to help anybody involved in this scenario. And from that developed a list of like 10 tangible things that they're going to do this year. So, wow, having a conversation with our colleagues, what an amazing thing. Like when we just sit down to be creative and brainstorm, those kind of strategies I love. We've got a couple of folks doing huge awareness campaigns across the state that have been really incredible. And I think some of the smaller areas and areas that our agency has really found a connection with folks around this month, and we refer to it as sexual assault action and prevention month. So it can be awareness, it can be action, it can be prevention, right? We want folks kind of engaging in all of those areas. Our prevention team, you've mentioned my colleague Meg Foster, who's the violence prevention coordinator at the task force with me and Eli Cox, who is our abuse prevention coordinator, have been working with a ton of colleagues from across the state and nationally to host what they're affectionately calling growing prevention chats. And it's really just casual Zoom spaces to bring folks together that are having creative strategies from across the state, everything from libraries that are instituting violence prevention measures, getting folks connected with basic needs, and then hosting activities in the library, or working with young people like really little kids, uh, working to look at environmental justice as an access to green spaces as a form of violence prevention. So that work has been really fun. And if folks want to learn more about it, you can check it out on our website. It's just Oregon SATF as in frank.org and folks can visit our SAM page and learn more about strategies you can do with your families, with folks that are doing this work from across Oregon and other places. Thank you, Carly. Uh, so I was typing the Oregon SATF.org website. Um, don't know if I have a win, but I have a, a, an appreciation for the glacier pace that this work has been doing and the people who came before me um, in this movement um, to even have a sexual assault awareness action and prevention month. Um, so the countless survivors that have come forward. There was a recent, uh, uh, on a college campus, there was a recent um, uh, email that went out, like a campus alert, a sexual assault had occurred um, the night before. And the, in the email, they actually named that it was a fraternity, a male fraternity member um, who assaulted um, somebody. Uh, the reaction, the conversations, the drive for something to happen, of not retribution, but of direct action and, and, and accountability has been just loud and in waves on different social media devices. The one that we've been tracking is Yik Yak. And on that tool, it's an anonymous social media tool that based on geography in an area. And so even on an anonymous platform, we scrolled through for almost three days and there was only one victim blaming statement. The, every other statement on there was ridiculous accountability. Um, what's the university going to do? This is, you know, it was all like outrage and support of the person who experienced the harm, not of the blame, not of what were you doing, what were you thinking, all that, tired. So I guess my heart was lifted in an, in an unfortunate, tragic accident that happened in the ripples. And the community was there to, to like want to hold the person who caused that harm accountability more so than blaming the person who was harmed. Um, that's so, amazing because yik yak here is the most toxic, destructive, awful thing that's ever been created. But I, I'm, I'm like you. That's a great surprise, right, Carly? Have you have you guys been in discussions of this yik yak thing? Yeah, what's so funny is as you were saying that, Jeff, I was having these awful flashbacks actually to back when Kip, you and I worked together. That was a lot more when I had to interact with that. And it was slowly like fading back into the ether. Nobody was really using it. It wasn't cool anymore. And then I've heard of this recent resurgence and was like... I know for our community, that wasn't a great thing. But I think what's incredible, Jeff, like that 
when it think like 15 years ago, folks working on college campuses, I highly doubt that would have been the reaction, right? If it made it to that platform at all. And so that's incredible. And then the ask from the other student bodies, organizations on campus are saying, here's what we've thought of. So they gave us content, not what do we do? They gave us ideas of what they want to do and asked, what do you think? And so they were coming prepped, ready to move. And uh, I think our job was certainly to listen, but also to like, okay, we'll move with you all. But again, the outrage about accountability was just such a, a lift. Um, and that at the timing of this all, you know, as college winds down, the spring semester is coming to an end. Um, the unfortunate part is that this is in the ether now and with it in the ether, what do we do? And so as students are talking, we're doing more engagement. We're keeping our office open a little longer. Um, we're giving more resources for the, the 24 hour chat lines, right? So people can talk through things because when people get triggered, these memories click for people and courage, uh, I think not courage, but permission is happening. Look, they reported then I could tell my story as well, right? This is the, the beautiful uh, uh, effect of the Me Too movement of normalizing how many people are hurt. So um, again, out of this awful incident and somebody's awful choices, what has come to it is a, is a community's blending. And so um, we people deserve to be healed. And so that's where we, we need to come in and, and we need to do our jobs. Thank you, thank you. Mine is a follow. Um, if you're still on Twitter, but if you're on Twitter, you probably should follow her. She jumped over to uh, Spoutable, which I'm on as well, which hopefully will be a much a much nicer alternative to Twitter, but she also has a Substack. Uh, Dr. Nicole Badera, at N-B-E-D-E-R-A, uh, sociologist studying how our social structures make sexual violence more likely to occur. And what I love about her, besides obviously her expertise in, in, in all the work she does, is her willingness to wade in and call MFers out and do it in a in a way in and she she doesn't just give intellectual like here's the facts and reports she does it when it's needed but she'll also just wade in and tell people where they can go and i respect the hell out of that courage uh because some of those spaces on there are i'm like oh my god look at this what am i going to type here but she is amazing and, and constantly pushing the envelope um for people in awareness and, and and driving us forward to hopefully better 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 systems um but thank you both as always, this was freaking awesome. And now that I have more time, we can do more than two of these a season, Kip. You know what I mean? Like, well, like guys, I have a home office now. I got an L-shaped desk in my office. So I just grab my Starbucks and I go into the other room. But I needed that mental shift. So I got all kinds of time, right? Thank you, guys. Cross the streams. <laughs>